Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special returning guest is Jonathan Escott. Jonathan Escott is a private investor of the Austrian School of Economics. He first joined us in episode 42. Welcome again, Jonathan. Welcome back. There's an elite group of Jedi that get a return invitation. I'm proud to say you're amongst them, so welcome. Does, does that mean that you, you couldn't get the regular guest that you wanted? Yeah, no, yeah. Have, yeah. no Rory sure was busy, so... <laughs> <laughs> I have just read your book that you... Well, not the book that you wrote, but you, you remember, Tim, you told me to read How to Lose $100 Million. Oh, this, well, I got it as a gift from Paul. So, oh. so it's, it's, really you... Paul, it's really Paul's book by... by well, just, just, just to be clear, uh, Tim didn't say that you suggest this. He's only admitting that now because it's, he's been revealed as stealing your ideas. <laughs> Again. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. But I love, I love reading those books. Like I said, so books it's, so, so it's called, this is called, it's called How to Lose $100 Million and Other yeah. Valuable Our 100th episode winner, Mark Thatcher, sent me a message to say he was halfway through the book and he loved it. So... Um, so Tim, did you read it before you gave it to I'm, Jonathan? I'm about I'm about a third the way through. Aha! Uh-huh. But it, it's it's just great fun because I think I think as a, as a, I'll let I'll let Jonathan speak maybe in about five ten minutes time, and um, <laughs> it's just one of those things that you you learn more from people's mistakes than you do from their successes. Yes. I mean, is that, is that your take on it, Jonathan? Uh, yeah, so I've got a particular hard on about this. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it very well, but this false positives, false negatives, true positives, true negatives, meaning to say there's a guy, for example, I think you might know him, Chris Meyer, one of Bill Bonner's guys. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And so he seems like a lovely guy. So I have nothing negative to say about him at all. But he, and he's very, uh, he's on Twitter, he's quite active, and he's written a book about 100 baggers, which means stocks that go from one to 100 times more than one or more. And then it's the lessons you can learn. The problem is, as a son of a, an entrepreneur, I recognize nearly all the traits of all the successful entrepreneurs in my father, who's a lovely man, and he did all the, nearly the same things, but unfortunately he wasn't a hundred bagger kind of a guy. And I just think there's an awful lot of false positives there. So just because you are a lovely guy and you work really hard and you never say no, and you know, all the usual sorts of things, the same as Will Thorndike's Outsiders book, I think an awful lot of his qualities are they overlap with investors who, or businessmen who do averagely or fail. And I just don't think they're that useful, honestly. And I think it's much, much more interesting to read how, how things went wrong. Mm. And I mean, I read the book. So to be fair, I was quite into it for the first third. You see, it's this guy, Raw Little, who I have never heard of before. He's the father of um, conglomerates. And he started this Textron business making synthetic fibers back before the war, World War II. And in long story short, he's quite a witty kind of patriarchal kind of a guy. And it's very and, self-deprecating, isn't the spirit of the book? Yes. Tone of the book. Yeah. And it's not humble bragging at all. Because you know yeah. when people talk about their losses, it's really a way to portray how amazing they are. He's not mm. doing that at all in this book. And really just goes through loads of, loads of um, it's a bit gets into weeds about all the companies, interestingly, high quality companies that you and me have never heard of that have disappeared into the midst of time, which is interesting because today... Everyone thinks what a high-quality compounder is is so obvious, but when you look back at all these names, nearly none of them ring any bells to me at all. And then you realize, I mean, for me, I just think these real businesses, they're just so hard. Like he's making hardly any money on huge turnover. 
And then every now and then you get completely sideswiped by a war or a major commodity price move or a major change in fashion. Well, that was, that was the thing that they leapt out at me from this, which was that, that you know, they were, you know, this is like Texas. Basically, he started out and I think spent most of it. I, mean, I haven't finished, so I don't know, but I suspect he spends most of his career in the textile business. So manufacture of synthetic um, textiles. And, you know, they've just completed a few acquisitions and then they're all set. And then the war happens and then taxes go up like, you know, threefold or whatever it is. And so all the, the profit motor just gets crushed. Well, he's making negative. Some years he's making money, but after tax, he's actually losing money. Yeah. Like he doesn't really go on about that very much. Well, he had an adversarial episode where the tax man got him for an innocent. Um, it wasn't wasn't an, uh, it wasn't a deliberate, an innocent interpretation thing. He thought, well, okay, if that's how it is, I'm going to hire the best tax lawyers, and I'm mm. just going to deliberately play the game back at them for the rest of the Yeah. I did. So he did. I mean, I tell you, price of admission for the book. So stick with it to the end, Tim, because the end he starts getting into more general life advice. But right. Really. Right really cool episode about the Hindenburg. So he got the Hindenburg from America to Europe and he describes the journey over two or three pages, but he writes very well. <laughs> he was lucky to get yeah. it. He dodged a bullet there, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's, it sounds like a fantastic way to travel. Like I didn't realize you, you go up a thousand feet only, then you drift obviously silently. Mm. And because it's going so slow and you're so close to the ground, when, when you went over New York, they would slowly drift around New York and do circles, just having a look at it because it's so beautiful. Yeah. And they keep pop, they keep going over the landscape. And interestingly, when they go over remote parts of New Brunswick or as they're going out over the Atlantic, these people have probably never seen anything like that uh, freak out. <laughs> they probably think they're being attacked by an alien because it's mm. thing a thousand foot in the air. Or Boris Johnson or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's a very good book. So thank you for that recommendation. So let's let's go back a bit. So we 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 first we first sort of met digitally. I reckon twenty plus years ago, probably via Bloomberg. And at the time, you were trading bonds, and I was I just sort of made the transition into private client portfolio management, and then we've sort of kept in touch ever since. Uh, would it be fair to say you're now, let's say, in sort of semi-retirement or in retirement, in, as far as the city is concerned, anyway? Yes, it's hard to um, it's hard to know how to answer that question. But, but uh, like I'm I'm on a I'm a chairman of a board of a fund that's run by a friend, a mutual friend, I think, Sebastian. Mm. Yeah. Uh, of the uh, Troy funds, but I'm doing that's only, I'm not one of those guys who collects directorships. I'm only doing that because I live here. He has our mm. Irish funds, and I and I'm I've been doing that for for many years. But apart from that, no, I guess I'm a bit of a lady of leisure, really. But I'm still very interested in the financial world. But what I it's interesting, maybe from your point of view, is I have no angles. I can't say anything. So, and I was, I was on the inside, so to speak. So that makes you a free man amongst slaves now. Yeah, it's not because I'm being virtuous. I'm sure if I was selling something, I'd put my sales guy hat on and start making stuff up again to make you want to invest with me. But that's not what I'm doing. So. Mm. I don't have to do oh, that. Oh, no, it's reverse psychology, isn't it? Because you're saying we don't yeah. want... Yeah. We actually now we really want to invest with you because... Well, to be honest, we've got the perfect product, but it's not for you. Yeah, you can't have it. Or the classic hedge fund when, it's, is, uh, when they say that they're about to close soon or soft closing. Yeah. And that's, that's, a classic, that's a classic way to raise money. It really works if you say... Or else you make the minimum just a little bit higher than they're normally comfortable with. So they would normally... The five hundred thousand to a million pound kind of investor guy. They say, "Well, this is five million because the sort of clients we have." So it makes you just dig a little deeper and go a little harder, and that, that actually is a quite an effective marketing strategy. 
So where, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with coronavirus or, or do you want to start with the financial markets? So we can we can cover both. I and mean, we'll probably cover both anyway. But uh, what's your what, what's your preferred method of attack? The problem for people like you and me talking about coronavirus is like you probably have a very sympathetic audience. You know, both of the, both of your listeners. But I just think that we don't have two listeners. We, we occasionally have one. And that's typically either myself or Paul. Yes. Listening back. <laughs> I, I just think with COVID, I don't, I, I'm genuinely a bit upset at the way we, we're not learning. I don't think we're learning at all. So the very beginning, I think it was understandable that there was a confusion about how to respond. And is it just a false alarm or is it serious? And then also, who does it kill? Does it kill? You know, so we now have lots of data. And we know, roughly speaking, that it seemed to hurt uh, people with prior uh, health conditions. Like, for example, in Ireland, there's been 1,800 deaths, and I think 50-ish have been with people uh, people with no other underlying conditions, 50. And of those 50, most were very old. So if you once you know that, it's like, okay, well, this is something that's um, you can identify that cohort and protect them and let everybody else carry on. I mean, that seems to me quite obvious, uh, but there seems to be zero appetite to even raise that issue. And there's been a mass uh a mass willful ignoring of the widely disputed harm mm. this is causing. Like I was reading the FT yesterday, Simon Cooper, who really bothers me because he's such a lefty, but he does, he was saying that uh, World Health Organization is saying, and they are going to exaggerate, the 71 million people are being pushed into extreme poverty. And I've seen that myself from articles from Bangladesh, uh, the textile industry over there, where they, they have no, they have no, uh, National Health Service mm. speak of or, or unemployment benefit and lucky bastards. Yeah. <laughs> so our policies, I mean, talk about COVID has caused all these harms for the poor. It's like it's not COVID that's caused the harms. Mm, it's the go- policies. It's the government. The harms. And so, so I so I have to ask, there's there's a, a piece that I came across, I think last week, that that for me is a big deal. And so I've been retweeting the hell out of it. And it's it's by a guy called Michael Sanger, Michael P. Sanger who's a lawyer in the US, and it's called China's Global Lockdown Propaganda Campaign. And it's been published in a magazine called The Tablet, which I think in the States is a Jewish magazine, but I know in the UK, I think it's a Catholic-oriented magazine. But either way, it's, it's called tabletmag.com, and we'll make the link available on the show notes. But in brief, his take, and I was sceptical when I first started reading it, but, but as the argument wound on, I became more and more one over to his cause. His argument is as follows, that coronavirus arose in Wuhan, province, or is it Wubei province in China? Um, they panicked. They then, because the Chinese Communist Party can behave like this, they then locked down the entire province. And then after a while, they then said, declared victory and said, you know what, it's, it's completely gone now. We've, we've cured it. And so because of the precise chain of events, the, so the next, the next basic flare-up was North Italy, and so then there's a whole. This is basically his argument that a whole army of Chinese-sourced bots then start saying, "We better lock down, then better lock down," and then North Italy considers locking down, and then some Chinese advisors arrive and say, "No, you've got to lock down even more strongly and more severely." And then we get it. And so by the time uh, you just mentioned, when every, it's the early stage of the crisis, and everyone's going, "What the hell do we do?" There's a huge army of basically Chinese bot social media propagandists saying lockdown, lockdown, and we fell for it. So just because just because they can get away with it because they're an authoritarian, you know, 
culture and you know you have this supreme you know one party state they got away with it and they probably haven't cured it but that you know but everyone trusts them mysteriously which i find inexplicable and so because of the precise chain of events we ended up falling for a narrative that the only way to solve this is to basically to have a hard, hard lockdown and that's been very prevalent across the anglosphere and yet those countries that basically didn't subscribe to that view which tend also to be not that friendly towards china places like Japan, for example, said, I know we don't need a lockdown, or South Korea, or you know, Taiwan, dare one say. You know, and this whole thing is just a gigantic hoax. Now, a lot of people say, oh, that's just conspiracy theory. But you know, when you ask yourself, well, who benefits from this? Well, the answer is it's China, because they basically just destroyed the rest of the world economically. Yeah, the hoax one, I think, is a bit... So I'll push back a bit there. I don't... So you need, you need to read the article, because the article goes into you know, chapter and verse and gives you all the sources. Everything's linked. Everything's cross-referenced. But all I'm saying is, yeah. if if you if, if just 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 part this this thought, yeah. if you accept the narrative that basically China hoaxed the rest of the world or half of the world into basically lock, locking down when it was completely pointless because no prior virus pandemic in history has ever necessitated has ever been met with well let's just lock everybody indoors. That's not how it works. Um, if you accept that China went about this with a, a huge sort of propaganda push then there is no way that Boris Johnson or the UK government could ever acknowledge that they got suckered because they'd immediately be voted out of office. So you'll never, ever get any kind of apology or backing down. If anything, we'll get even more um, doubling down on complete you know, non-scientific nonsense until Boris Johnson is finally removed as uh, prime minister. Personally, I think he's lost his mind. I think he's gone completely mad. But uh, what Johnson said at the top of the show was that he was disappointed that we haven't learned from this, or it appears people haven't learned from it. Well, I don't think the government's learned anything. Well, that's the point. If, if if that was true at the beginning, then surely they would have said, okay, what this propaganda has said has not been correct, and therefore we wouldn't be looking at locking down for a second wave. So that's that kind of, can we really influence? I, I share Jonathan's scepticism about whether propaganda from Chinese did, did you boss... Read, did you read the Michael no, Singer piece? No, I'm going to read it. Yeah. I'm going to reserve judgment. But it does yeah. seem... Why is it that they could influence UK policy and not Swedish policy? And also, what had Professor's, Professor Ferguson's analysis got... Wasn't that more to do with why we locked down an imperial college as opposed to Oh, no, I, 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 I so, absolutely accept that Ferguson's done more damage than, than probably anybody else. But in the context of the wider context of the it's easy when you read the piece. But mm. what I'm saying is that I, I don't think this mess could have happened without Ferguson. But notwithstanding that, you know, it, you could say it's never too late, but it, it seems to be now that, that the sunk cost fallacy determines that there can never be any and they've returned to normality now. We just have to keep, you know, the, the punishment beatings must continue until morale improves. Well, I have, I have an interesting, I listened to the, the Liam Halligan, I think he does a show, a podcast. It's a spectator, isn't it? It's a spectator oh, podcast, I think. Telegraph one. Oh, Telegraph, okay. We're re- revealing our biases here, but he, he's, um, what's it called? I think it's called Planet Normal podcast. Yeah. And he's had, I tell you, he's had some really interesting people on there. Like he had the former head of MI5 or MI6 or whatever it's called, talking about how uh, they think it really was a, ma- a man-made uh virus that got out of a lab and you so you know a lot, lot of time you hear the conspiracy stuff thinking that's just bollocks and that he was saying well it, they think it really was but whether that, that was well, not deliberate but that'll be god if that really comes out and proven that's that's a disaster but recently they had the woman is it professor gupta i think from oxford mm. and uh gosh she's a really really impressive woman because you you know in your mind's eye you have this idea of what you want a professional 
to be like a professor in, 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 in uh, was it epidemiology, immunology, whatever the hell it is. So she, Oxford University is a proper university. So it's all it'd be ticking all the boxes. And she was talking really calmly. And she wouldn't be, they were trying to trigger her with questions because she's met Boris and she's presented her case to Boris and they tried to get her to talk about that. And she very politely didn't want to talk about it because she's not supposed to. And then they kept trying to get her to make political comments and she wouldn't, which is great. And she said, I'm just a scientist. And she, the disappointing thing, which reminded me of the climate change stuff, is in these highly politicized things, we, we keep being told science, 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 but she's being told that she's putting together some uh, work about how prior COVID immunity can actually cross immunize you from other kind of COVIDs, mm. which would be great news, right, if that's true, which means it would explain why COVID is not spreading as much as all the models suggested it would, because it's not to do with just how much the population have antibodies. It's also T-cell immunity from what she said, I don't, I'm not an expert. Mm. And also this cross-COVID immunity. From, well, I don't know how that all works, but she said the Lancet won't take a paper mm. because it's not, it's not the answer they want. Yeah. And she said, that, that, that's just not science. You can't, you can't not take a paper because the conclusion isn't correct for, your, for, what, for the, what you're trying to sell. It reminds me of climate change stuff. Is if you ever tell anybody anything that pushes back a bit about uh, climate change, they'll, you know, they need to jump onto the, you must be some global warming capitalist bastard and all the rest of it. But they, they won't engage at all with, there, there are subtleties here. It's not as simple as you think. And I just find it disappointing that you're now starting to see the science being very influenced by what is politically acceptable as opposed to what does the science actually say. The, the science, wouldn't, if it was going to follow big business, would be saying the opposite, wouldn't it? There's a, there's, a, there's a cracking J.K. Galbraith quote on this, which is to do with the psychology. So much of this is psychology. Faced with a choice between changing one's mind and proving that there is no need to do so, almost everybody gets busy on the proof. There's a, a and, the, and the problem with science is the problem with the, the current scientists is that sci science is supposed to be effectively a sceptical profession. But actually, as, as John has just said, everyone's already entrenched and they're not willing to not willing to budge uh, one inch. There's a fantastic series um, about the the universe, and I I think it was a BBC one, but I'd, I'd have to check because I watched a couple and I can't remember which one it was. So I'll find out and put the links in the show notes after I've researched it. And what was absolutely amazing, it started, it went right from the beginning of our solar system and explained how all the planets were formed. And it, the analysis they they did was just absolutely incredible. And one of the fascinating things that came out of this was that Mars had a very similar climate to ours. In fact, you know, we could have lived on Mars um, at the in the early stages of its climate, but it couldn't it didn't have, it wasn't, it was just slightly too small to retain the water that it had. And then over millions of years, it, its climate changed and it, all the water evaporated and that was it. And that was Mars's fate. And if you look at that and you think, well, if we were living on Mars at that time, if it were habitable, and then you'd say, well, cl the climate's changing and it's due to us the argument would be completely false because the climate is just changing because of the nature of the planet. And I think that's the point that people miss. Our climate is changing because of the nature of the planet. That does not mean that it's okay for companies to pump 
pollution into the air or into the sea or plastics into the sea. That's a completely mm. separate issue. Nobody's saying mm. that, that that is okay. It's not okay. It's not okay for companies to profit from making a product and then pumping lead into the water and making other people sick. That is completely different. Those people should be sued. Those companies should be shut down. But the, the planet is changing. The climate is changing naturally. And whether it's us doing it or whether it's happening naturally is open to debate. It's not obvious that we're doing it. And and it could just be happening because of long-term cycles. And we've seen extreme weather patterns, as we, we spoke about uh, before, about, you know, people ice skating on the Thames. And if that was happening now, you know, people would be up in arms about it. So th- these these things have got it you've got to an- analyze the long-term trends for everything in order to fully understand that the last hundred years is a blink of an eye in terms of the the, the, the you know the, the time scale of how these things operate i tell you the most um i, I agree with you that so the, what you're saying there i think is the premise people have is that they, the climate doesn't any change from normal whatever that is is because of us and that's obviously bollocks like that's obviously not true and you can point to historically salient examples like you know, skating on the Thames. I mean, just think about that. That's uh, very different. And then all the various examples through history in different countries that their own people will remember. But this is, this is, this is a, sorry, this is a tweet that I saw this morning from, from the New York Times. After a week of discussions on the causes of climate change, an assembly of specialists from several continents seems to have reached unanimous agreement on only one point. It is getting colder. New York Times, January 3rd, 30th, 1961. This bollocks has been going on for quite a while. Yeah. So, so two, two things I've found out. So I've learned to shut my mouth amazingly and listen more um, because I did this volunteering thing a while ago for some mental health charity and they, they, you have, they teach you to listen more. And, and it's amazing I'm the old, as old as I am and I had to learn this. But I've now started to listen to feedback. So when you tell, let's say you want to talk to some relative, it's a big mistake at a, and the climate change comes up and you want to just gently push back or mm. if you start ranting like this, it just doesn't, it just, it doesn't work. Yeah. So what I, two things I've said that do seem to work. I mentioned Warren Buffett, so everyone's heard of him. And he's met, he's mentioned a few times, and this never gets picked up because he gets challenged about climate change every now and then. He'll say, all I know is I run one of the biggest insurance companies in the world, and uh, uh, you know we would know because uh, the claims would be forthcoming, and there's been no difference in claims over time for, uh, for weather-related stuff. So he says, what do I know? But hey, that's – and you think, yeah, that's quite a – and people that does make people stop and pause and go, well – you know, if you look at the news, you'd assume all these things are seeing are it must be catastrophic for insurers. So, well, mm. n- not really. I mean, yes, you can pick individual years where there's been a bad hit, but he's saying over time, it's not really changed for him. And the other thing I found quite helpful is you mentioned Matt Ridley. So rather than go to one of the more extreme climate skeptics, like Matt Ridley, as you know, is a, he calls himself a lukewarmer. So yes, of course, man is influencing the environment to some extent. It's not zero. But the extreme claims of the Greta Thunbergs and all the rest of it are clearly, they're clearly off the deep end mm. the other way. And if you listen to him, one of his podcasts or books, he's quite a pragmatic guy and it's very hard to find fault with him. The only faults you see are people challenging him because apparently he's an aristocrat who lives on some former coal mine um, fortune. So apparently that means his words have no value, but that's not mm. really a good argument against him. So I found him quite a useful uh, because I find if I say what I think, it doesn't work. Mm. And of course, you're just you're just a, a right wing asshole. But if you just drop in some other sciencey kind of person or a wealthy businessman who's an insurer, it seems to carry more influence. There's a, a great 
documentary, uh, I think it's on Amazon, but again, I'll have to double check, called Reasons to Believe. And it goes into the psychology behind why people believe what they believe. And one of the interesting things that came out of that for me was that if you're having a discussion, especially a heated one, about something, it could be anything, could be religion, could be climate change, the more you give the counterfact the more the other person will believe in what they're saying as they defend it. So if you force someone to def defend their view, they will then believe it even more strongly than they did before. Mm. So in trying to convince somebody of something, you will just push them the other way. The, and, and the only way to get them to um, consider the other side is to, as you were saying, Jonathan, is to, is, is to take a different tact, which is why it reminded me of this, um, this documentary. And it was basically to to ask questions instead of saying, you know, oh that that's not right. It's to ask them a question. Well, do you, do you think the climate is changing? And so, how do you think it's changing? Mm. How long has it been changing for? Do you think? And mm. do you think it's the same? It was the same a thousand years ago, or how about a million years ago? Give, give think, them enough rope to hang themselves. Well, you just keep asking questions, and then then the then they start to work it out for themselves. It's like, well, maybe it was different a million years ago between a million years and a million plus a hundred years and there weren't enough people there to to make any difference. So then why should we be making a difference now? Um, you know, and the climate may have changed dramatically over those times. So instead of saying, you know, oh, religion is is rubbish, it's just say, well, okay, why do you believe that? And then, you know, just get them to explain it to you. And that technique, it's, it's, it's not like you're, you're trying to convince them of anything. It's just you're trying to get to the bottom of why they believe things. And, you know, I've got members of my family who are very religious and I don't agree with what they believe, but it helps them. And there, there's other reasons for why they may, might be religious. But when it comes down to it, you you know, it's like trying to, to nail jelly to the wall. They are not going to give you a logical reason why they want to believe. And it becomes, in the end, it's just because they want to, and that's it. They just want to believe that. And then it becomes a moot point because you're never going to convince them otherwise. I, I like that. And there's, um, there's a guy I've, I've learned a lot from. It's very difficult to say this about this guy's name because when people actually listen to me, he's such a Trump supporter. Uh, it's it's ugly. So Scott Adams, um, I think I mentioned him before. The he's a uh, he's the cartoonist, isn't he? He's a cartoonist, still the cartoonist, but he's also um, he had he had some. It's a long shaggy dog story. He had some mm. very troubling health episode where he lost the ability to speak and they misdiagnosed it, uh, and he he thought it was a psychological problem and it wasn't. But during the period he thought it was a psychological, he went to great. He learned to become a professional hip hypnotist. He learned all about persuasion. Like went professionally qualified or whatever that means in that field. And he uh, about a year or two before Trump was elected, or whenever, however long it was before Trump put his uh, name in the ring, he said he's going to win. There's nothing to do with his policies because he's used, he's he's a master persuader. Mm. Not that he not that he would even know what that means, Trump that is. But he's just got he's got it. And the other guy, the other team are just playing the old playbook. They they will lose. Mm. So I found listening to his. I can't listen to them all because they drive me up the wall. But he. He's very interesting. Pick, pick, pick his podcast every now and then to listen to. And he's very, when he's going on about Trump, it's tiresome because he, he's always finding a reason how what Trump did was actually some kind of persuasion masterstroke. And we are the Democrats, which is <laughs> unbelievably moronic. Clearly, it's, there's going to be pluses and minuses on both sides. But he does make you think about how to frame things because he said, mm. You think if you're if a clever analytical person, the way to win an argument is by, like Paul's trying to do there, explaining 
logically the climate has changed through time but they, they then they will argue well, how much has it changed from what it would have otherwise been because of humans and so but that that will persuade nobody he said you need to you need different it's a different kind of way of looking at things and one of the tools he uses is um he'll ask the person to tell them what what do you what do you think i believe and he said, that's a great way to trip people up because they will usually say something that as they start saying it makes you sound like you're just stupid and they'll realize yeah. you can't really mean that. So if they, if you say, well, I'm a bit skeptical about the extent of climate change induced by humans and, so, and then they'll go off on a rant and you go, well, mm. what is it exactly? So what do you think I believe? Give, give me a good version of what you think mm. I believe. And then as they start saying it, they'll start making themselves sound, they're basically insulting you and you're, you're looking and go, well, obviously I don't think that. Like anyone who voted for Trump, for example, you ask me, why do you think I voted for Trump? And, you know, if you start thinking because you're a racist redneck who hates immigrants and Mexicans, it's like, well, okay, uh, 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 that's not obviously me, is it? And then they start feeling embarrassed and defending themselves. Then you've got them in the back foot. Mm. And then when you're defensive, it's quite a good, it's a good way to, you know, they're, they're, they're doing their own, they're doing your work for, for you. Mm. I've never tried it because I think it's quite cynical, but it, it's a good idea. I noticed Trump, whenever he gets attacked, he does a very good job of making, uh, you know, not responding to it and making out like um, like the other person is is sort of losing it as opposed to getting rattled by it. So if somebody starts, you know, really go, go having a go at him, he goes, oh, well, yeah, I like that. Yeah, you've got a bit of fire in your belly there. That's really good. Instead of just actually referring to what the person's saying he sort of deflects it by by making out that you know he's impressed by what the other person's doing and it seems to take the air out of the argument mm. which is which is a very interesting technique he's a master of a switch and bait so for example i can't i'll get the quote wrong but this week did you see he was um uh did you, what's he called duchess of like a duchess of sussex megan 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 markle megan markle was giving some shit out about trump and then trump was asked what do you think about the latest comments and he said, well, you know, and he never really, he doesn't get angry. It's quite cool. He just says things like, well, you know, we have, you know, well, we have our differences and I think that's well known, but all I can say to Harry is, um, and he made some kind of really male comment to Harry. I can always, you know. I think he said something like, I, w- I wish him all the best because he's going to need it. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I mean, it's just, that is masterful, right? And in yeah. that persuasion frame, because he's just, they're looking, they're looking for a response they, yeah. to say something rude about her back. But instead he kind of twisted into something. It's, 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 it's asymmetric warfare. It's, 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 no, you're playing, you're playing, you're playing a game by different rules. You're playing a different game. So, that, you know. Like, so actually that's funny you say that because he said, most people, when it comes to politics, are, are looking at a 2D screen. Mm. But the way to do it is you look at, like, you're looking at it as a 3D level because, you know, mm. if you have a Democrat or Daily Telegraph or The Guardian, they're writing it. You know exactly what they're going to say before when you see the, the news item. But he does it at a different level. I remember when he got accused of raping that woman. He said, no, she's not my type. Mm. It was like, oh, my God. I mean, who, who would have the balls to say that? Because mm. to get into the... No, I wasn't there. I never met him. Yeah. Excuse. But he just suddenly makes it like witty or try yeah. witty. So how do you respond to that? He's got to, you've got to give it to him in that regard. Yes. So market wise, what, what do you, what do you think of the markets at the moment? Well, I, I don't like, I don't like a lot of the uh, bull market stories. So bull market lessons from bull markets that are coming out now as um, some kind of wisdom. So, I'm hearing increasingly there's a good American investor called Chuck Acri, very sensible guy. He's like a, an American version of Terry Smith, high quality growth stuff. And well, that's not really fair, high quality compounders, I guess you might call it. And 
he would be saying things like, well, the lessons I've learned are you should never sell. And you're thinking, well, what? that's the kind of thing you start saying at the top of bull markets, right? Oh, I mean, that is, a, yes. that is, that is not wise. There's so many counterfactuals in history. And there's people like Terry Smith who, like I respect his investing methodology, but I wish to be more honest and just say that their, their returns have been enormously flattered by the re-rating of their style, which was not something they invest. That's not why they invested. If they did that as a macro call, like I'm going to invest in that kind of a strategy because I think it's going to become popular, then I will sell once it's got to some multiple I think is too high. Fine, that's genius. But if you are investing in a way that's become very popular, you can't claim the entire re-rating because of your genius. That, that's just not fair. And he said this year, something that wound me up, he said, look, value is being discredited. This year's proved it. And his proof was he picked five value stocks from, I think, five years ago, including things like GE and Rolls-Royce that have done very badly in the subsequent five years. And then he's, he compared that to L'Oreal over 25 years mm. to prove that even if you bought L'Oreal when it was expensive, because L'Oreal would be one of the ones he likes, for example. So he's saying, well, even if you paid a lot of a high multiple for a great stock it, over long periods of time, you'll do fine. So why worry about the overvaluation, which he's obviously getting a lot of flack for at the moment. But then he contrasts it with short term of five cherry picked shit performing value stocks. And I think that's, that's just, um, he's a very clever man. He must know that. And I don't think it's fair. And I don't think this year, whether you had a COVID, which is an existential hit, which happened to hit cyclical value type sectors and benefit the tech ones. I don't think that's any sign of a, a long-term lesson. I mean, for example, in 2011, Tim, I think you might remember, a lot of value guys and the number one holdings was Microsoft. Mm. So if if COVID happened to hit when Microsoft was the number one holding of value funds, then they would have done very well. So it's not mm. that value would never own a Microsoft. That's just not true. It's just at these valuations, a value investor won't own them. And the one coronavirus of, happened at this time. So one of the, one of the problems I have here is also that these these I mean these words these phrases are more or less meaningless. The, the first the first phrase that that I I noticed became completely meaningless was the phrase hedge fund. So hedge hedge fund the phrase hedge fund it used to mean something. A hedge fund used to be a vehicle that hedged wealthy people's risk. And then as it became more and more popular in the 80s and 90s, then you got all these chances leapt on board and basically just punting. And so something that had a, a very specific meaning, which was, you know, hedging is ultimately a, a risk management, risk mitigation technique. Hedge funds su suddenly became, well, let's just bet the bet the ranch on X, Y, or Z. And the 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 earnings were were such the 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 potential upside was such that it made it made sense because you're you're gambling with other people's money and you're charging yourself a fortune you're charging two and twenty on it on top, and so the phrase became completely meaningless because there's so many different types of hedge fund strategy out there that you know that the the phrase no longer has any real real value, and now I'd say that the 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 words value and growth are, 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 are going in the same direction, and the evidence my my evidence for this argument is that. There are some ETFs. There's a value ETF. I forget which which precise provider, but there's a value ETF and a growth ETF by the same provider, and they both contain Microsoft. <laughs> right. So there's a, there are two indices: a value index and a growth, index, and they both contain you know one of the largest stocks in the US. Well, it can be one thing or the other, but it can't be both. It's not Schrodinger's Microsoft. Well, so when I was in Omaha last year, this was a bit of a, a an argument back then about value, where everyone was saying, well, va value any it becomes almost ridiculous. Well, if you start saying value is anything that you think will be worth more in the future than today, so well, then all investing by definition is value investing. And they go, yeah, well, exactly. That's, that's, that's a lottery ticket. Like, well, it's just, 
you, you, you know, we all know intuitively there's some, there's a, there's a spectrum. And if you're buying something that's deeply a deep discount to book, it's got a very single digit PE ratio. There's, there's no debt and all those kind of things you kind of in your head, you go, okay, that's going to be, is that a value or growth stock? You know, in your head, okay, that's clearly value. And if you say, well, now I'm going to buy a stock with a price to sales ratio of 75 and don't worry because the total addressable market is enormous. And if you take out the customer acquisition cost, okay, well, clearly is that value or growth stock? Okay, that's growth. So we can agree easily on the. We can agree on the outliers. We can agree on the outliers, certainly. So there's an in, there's a whole world in between to argue about. And it's like okay, well, and I think that one of the best ways of looking at it that Darren Mopan, a friend of mine, said: uh, the more you have to look into a crystal ball, the more I think it's you got it. You, it's harder to argue its um, value. So the more you put, your your valuation requires future projections, uh, then the more you have to say, come on. That's that's. Uh, that's growth stock. And also, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with being a growth investor. Good luck to all these different styles. They can, it's a big world. There's a lot of ways to bake a cake. But I just think you, the mission creep is dangerous, especially now when there's a lot of investors I've been watching since 2008 who started off as very careful value guys. And now you look at their portfolio and they, they, they sound lovely people, but then you look at their stock portfolio and it's full of all the names you would imagine pretty much like Scottish Mortgage Trust has in the UK. Maybe not the Teslas, but facebook's amazon's google's like okay, okay right so now now you own now this is the time you now own all that stuff like it just seems surprising that you've morphed into being high quality expensive ish growth guy for people that are hearing you for the first time didn't hear the original um interview that we did with you jonathan could you just give us a breakdown of how you look for and what what stock what you look for and how you pick them and that could be a stock or it could be a fund yeah so it could be both well so embarrassingly i i i I rather uh, invest with fund managers than do the stuff myself because I realized after my background was bonds and derivatives, but that's what I did uh, as, a, as a bond dealer. But um, I realized that when you meet some of these fund managers, and if you ask them, if, like the, the thing you were talking about earlier on, Paul, about uh, you talking about explanatory depth when you were saying if you keep asking someone about something, you realize how much they don't really know about it. And if you ask these farm managers a few questions about why they own X, Y, Z, and they keep going, keep going, you realize some people you're thinking, okay, that guy, he knows more than I ever fucking want to know about that stuff. So, for example, <laughs> one of the funds, yeah, so there's a fund I know about, and the guy talks about buy dry box shipping, and you go, okay, then he's gone to, to Japan, the shipping yards, he's gone to the, the Chinese uh, version of where they build their ships, but they build them literally in the fields. So he's comparing that with the very high quality Japanese builds, and is it really worth the difference? And He's met all the people that make the ships and the different engineers and the, the build quality and the kind of steel they use. And you're thinking, fuck me, there's no way. I mean, maybe he's going too far, but you think, I, I am just not ever going to do that myself. So <laughs> I would rather, I'd rather let those guys do it. But then I think if I just pick a guy who has, it's nearly always a guy, sorry, to say maybe it'll change in the future. So I'm, I don't care what uh, gender or whatever you are. But if they have one fund, they do no marketing or very little marketing. The assets are small-ish. They have all their, their own money in that one fund. That's all they do. And they have a value-ish, broadly understood philosophy. And they don't overlap with anything else I might already own. Then I think that's um, that cohort tends to do very well over time. Although I have to say, the last three or four years, they've not. It's been like watching a duck paddling hard underwater, but making no net net direction change but to be fair the, la- the last few years have been quite exceptional even in the context of the last few years um like the last two decades or so to the extent that you it was like two decisions you only had to make two decisions one was to own the us and then versus any other market 
and then within the US just own the fangs. And if you'd come to that conclusion five years ago, you would have outperformed any other strategy on the planet. Yeah, and even there, if you didn't own those specific handful of stocks, the rest of the stocks don't matter. So the, the one thing I find uh, is a bit um, publicly misunderstood at the moment is people just look at the stock market level and they'll go, oh, well, it's not been so bad. But if that really hides the fact that, no, it, it has been. A large, the, 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 the majority of stocks have done very badly, but a very FTSE, small percentage of the huge FTSE, ones have done. The FTSE 100, Paul, has gone nowhere in 20 years, has it? Pretty, pretty much. Sorry, Jonathan, what, could you just carry on with what you're saying? Yeah, so people talk about, oh, the indexes have recovered a lot of ground. They, they think that's a sign of broad health of the market. But what's, if you look at that, it's, it's not broadly distributed. So it's a very small number have done nearly all the lifting of the entire index. So the, I'm not sure the current statistics are, but the majority of stocks have done very poorly this year. It's just not, so people don't understand that, that on average, it's been a crappy time. Definitely. And across Europe as well, if you look at, I think we mentioned it before on on um, on one of the shows that, that it, so for example, if you get up a chart of the Spanish stock market, get up a, a chart of the German stock market, and then get up a chart of the Russell 2000 and get a chart of the NASDAQ. And you'll see that you have to be very specific in the stocks that you pick. And we were talking about this on the, the last show with Zach and I was saying that's a dangerous sign. That's not a good sign for any market. What you want is the markets a while back. And when I talk about a while back, I'm talking about sort of late 90s were all synchronized and they would all go up together and all go, go down together. But what we've seen since 2000 is greater and greater fragmentation. And, 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 and that, as you say, Tim, if you, if you decided to pick um, a very narrow group of stocks, then you would have done well. But that's not that's not a good sign. Well, it's a, it's a high risk. It's a high risk strategy. I mean, it's easy to be wise after the event, but um, it's like saying, well, uh, to this example, we were talking about sort of phraseology earlier. I'd say that the growth investing is now actually momentum investing. I mean, to, to be so, just to be really clear, because I, I don't I don't want to come across. I'm not a neck. I don't want to be in. It's so easy. It's easier to know what not to do than what to do. So mm. the problem with that is it means it, it sounds like you're just a negative person. You're always complaining about whatever has, has seems to work when you think is luck, not skill. But a lot of those companies, they are great companies. It's not dot-com. I mean, well, some of it is definitely dot-com stuff. But dot-com period, I mean, I was alive and investing in through that period. There was a lot of complete bollocks, oh, you know, like God. obviously bollocks at the time. Like was like it? like. Like they're, they're just total joke. Whereas now, yeah. like these big companies, they're, they're, they're real companies, and the SaaS stocks, a lot of those, they are they are real, and there will be epic winners. That in ten years' time, there'll be some fund you and me have never heard of that's made a ridiculous return because they've owned some SaaS stock that did God knows what, and then everyone will think well, that's key to riches. But they won't list the umpteen that failed and went to zero because the one of the flip, the flip side of the benefit, the flip side of what can be a benefit on the upside to those SaaS stocks is that when they grow, it's nearly co- it's nearly uh, capital-free growth, so it's mm. wonderful. But it also means if you're wrong, and, and they're largely winner-take-all markets too, so there's not a big ecosystem for many of them. But if you're wrong, your downside is n- nearly total. Because if you're buying some crappy value, let's say you pick, okay, well, in your what the growth trap is what I'm saying. So okay, mm. well, let's say we have your value traps. Okay, let's say you and me buy a value trap. Let's say a stock Tim and I might have looked at in the past, Camellia. Let's say that's a value trap, a nice high-quality tea company that has lots of assets but just doesn't really grow very much. Well, yeah, it's a, if you're wrong, it just doesn't do anything for years. So, I mean, that's a very different situation to recover from. You know, recognizing your error, you've gone nowhere, you've missed opportunity cost in other stocks, but you, you live to fight another day. 
limp on. But if you've lost a significant portion of your capital, you, you now need to make hundreds of percent to get back to zero, mm. uh, which I, I don't think that's the mass of it's not really well understood. Uh, there's one subject that you make, you're making me think I should talk about on this, if you don't mind, because a lot of people listening to this probably aren't investing anoraks like we, we might be. And that is, I, I've noticed a lot of people, they, they tend to only get money and invest later in life when they have the money and they get their pension pots and they're now 50, 60 plus years old and they suddenly get lumps of money or they're starting to see retirement very close and they start to panic and realize they have to make some, they have to make some decisions, not the usual mm-hmm. 200 quid a month into some random collection of you know boring funds. And I think what happens is they suddenly have to make a choice and then they have the recency bias, which we all do. They look up what, you know, Hargreaves lands down or whatever your local provider is, which funds have done well the last five years. They then put some in bonds, some in some gross company or whatever, you know, the, a variety of things. And then they feel set. And then you get a nasty shakeout like this year. And I know from experience, family, friends, they'll freak out and cash out. And they'll sell everything because they think it's Armageddon because it does look terrible. And they never get back in again. And I mean, they never get back in again. The same in Ireland. In Ireland, we had a horrendous crash in 2007 to nine, And, you know, prime property fell 60 to 70%. And they everyone went to cash. And apparently, nearly none of the people went to cash ever got back in. And they mm-hmm. stayed in cash the whole way. And I think it's a, it's a bit of a problem with our culture where you never really learn that investing is volatile because real businesses are volatile. And I wonder whether the right thing to do is to get people young, like when they're 20, to have a nominal 500 quid, 1,000 pounds that their parents give them and they are forced to invest in shares and they must stay invested and they have to learn to live with the volatility. And as they get older, they'll just learn that these sort of 20, 30%, or as Charlie Munger said, 50% drawdowns are actually part of They, they happen, yeah, that's, they, that's part of life. I think you've, you've, what you've happily done now is, is given us an effortless segue into the crisis in education. Because I'd argue that really this, is, this, is a, a, this points to the failure of conventional education, particularly here in the UK, but probably more generally, that uh, I don't know whether this is the responsibility. I think it's probably the responsibility of parents, to be fair. But if it's not the parents, then it's the schools. Then it, it is a bit of a disgrace that I mean, what what is happening in universities, frankly, is just a, a disgrace, of, you know, beyond all measure. Now, you know, the fact that you know you've got all these kids that are that are in Glasgow or Manchester, and they're now saying, well, if you're lucky, we might let you home to see your parents at Christmas. Chances are, we, you're going to be imprisoned. And this is just this is just a monumental failure. But it, it's the idea that it, it, we seem to have lost any kind of culture of self reliance. So there's there's a general assumption. That when you're leaving school or leaving university, if you're dumb enough to be handing over money to you know the, these things that pass as universities, that you're going to work for somebody else. But there's an entirely uh, other universe which is actually you can work for yourself. But it seems to be ingrained that the only that the limit of most people's aspirations is well, I'll try and get a good job somewhere. And along with that, there's how do we invest? Well, what 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 are the principle the fundamental principles of 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 managing money? We're all going to have some, so. It would be nice to think that somebody out there is imparting advice on how it can be best be managed. But you know, the FCA has a notional role of, of providing investor education, but I don't think it does anything. Um, so I say whether it whether it falls to, to parents or to schools or universities. But there's a, there's a big yawning gap here. We're trying. I'm trying to be philosophical and sound clever now, but I think there's there's truth to that. But there's a broader issue around. We just we can't seem to tolerate short term pain or discomfort. Agreed. He domains. Yeah. And so, and then the thing is, 
it's as we're seeing with the wildfires in California. Yes, I'm sure it's a combination of climate change and uh, man-made forest management. I'm not. I don't want to get into that argument because I honestly, I of course, I don't know. I don't know. But it's a combination of both, right? It's not all climate change. It's not all the forest management. The same with the Fed. I mean, you know, central banking. They just seem to un, unwilling to tolerate any any pain at all. And there's clearly, I mean, how anyone can't see that now? Clearly, laying laying the tracks. The next crisis, and they'll somehow blame on some other. Some other issue, like someone recently said, I think finally they cooked this. So the Fed is the arsonist and fireman. I don't know if that was you, Tim. I, I read that recently, but it's it's true. I mean, I don't know how. That's the biggest disappointment of my Austrian phase was I thought 2007 to nine would really be their moment where they could say, "There you go." Mm. Like, what what else do you need to see? And it's completely failed, as in to, to cut latch into people's minds. And now you have MMT coming through. And actually, I wanted to mention the MMT thing because I. <clears throat> It's gaining popularity, and I think dovetailing that with your um, your show, you, you, the, the, was it the network or the what's the show? You, the Social Dilemma on Netflix, and you read yes. it a week ago. Yeah. So I watched that. So I have this, I have this hard to articulate feeling that a lot of things that are happening. It's not like there is an they're, they're worse than having a bad agent. If it was a bad man, you could take them out, and then it would fix things. But I think it's worse. Like you look at Social Dilemma, and it's not like Zuckerberg is deciding what Tim Price should and shouldn't watch. It's more nefarious. It's more, he's destroying you with your own interest. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like the, the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So the 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 the, the, the counter or the, the complementary book that I was reading around the same time just before I saw The Social Dilemma is a book called The Attention Merchants by Tim Wu, which I'd recommend to anybody. And people need, I mean, this is getting much wider discussion now, to be fair. But so it's already part of the sort of public discourse, public domain. But people still are insufficiently aware of, as you say, it's not like there's a bad actor. It's more like it, the whole nature of the platform is just bad in the same way that, you know, to go back to the media and news, as I'm trying to think of his name, as Rolf Doberly made the point years ago, news is to the brain what sugar is to the body. But yes. it, that analogy works on so many levels, not least because it's addictive. I try and steer away from mainstream media and mainstream news, but it's almost impossible because particularly if you're in in the business of managing money and for other people, you have to kind of look at the news once in a while, if only to know what everyone else is thinking or not thinking. And so if, if you take it to MMT, so you, you look at MMT, Stephanie, and I've read the, read the book and then there's a, there's a very good short summary by some of these guys are brilliant on Twitter, actually. People, people whinge about Twitter. They don't. All human life is there. So it, it, the thing about Twitter is to have a carefully curated feed. Jonathan, sorry, it's what like was, a, what it's was like the a book library. you mentioned? What was the book you mentioned? You said very quickly about it's, MMT. It's, it's Stephanie Kelton, the MMT lady. So okay. she's written a book about MMT. I think it's called something like Cobblers, but if it isn't, it's what it ought to be called. <laughs> so so I'm pretty sure, from, I think... I follow Ludwig von Mises' thing. Rather than just attribute bad motives to people, let's just assume... She's just an intellectually honest woman. And you read the book and go, okay. But you realize that the reason that's becoming popular is not because of all the theories out there that is being chosen because it's the most sensible. It's being chosen or being gravitated towards because it's a nice solution, like avoiding short-term pain. Mm. Here's a sensible-looking academic person suggesting a policy that seems very, very nice, doesn't it? It seems that you can have your cake and eat it. As long as inflation doesn't go up, we can keep on basically creating... Yeah, debt doesn't matter. Well, yeah, because... And narrowly, looking at the mathematical side of it, it looks like it works, but it seems to not it not take into any account the fact that, yeah, but your actions are interfering with the workings of the economy and relative prices throughout the entire economic structure. 
And you think that doesn't matter as long as inflation doesn't go up, which kind of links back to confusing you now, the, the whole thing that um, Paul's talking about with the climate change, where your premise is that it, it, there's no change. The same, same with inflation, there'd be no change if it's okay. Well, maybe maybe prices should be falling. Maybe it should be rising at a different rate. You don't know what the real un, un, uh, interfere with the rate of inflation mm. should be without government intervention. So if you start building bridges with the printed money, you are going to actually divert resources, materials, mining, all kinds of things will happen in the economy. And the other thing, that's great. We're creating stuff. Well, not really. You're changing the relative price structure within the economy, and you have no idea what the negative effects of that will be throughout the entire system, interfering with other people's plans. And that's why these things work, because they seem to have a narrow focused benefit. You Let's say you have the HS2 thing built, and you say, there you go. We pay for that with MMT. Isn't that great? But you won't connect all the negative consequences of all the distortions that are introduced into the economy to achieve that. And it just seems it's too hard to argue because they will point to something tangible that they've done. And you'll just talk about some vague notion of distributed harm that they, you can't specifically identify as the offset. So that's why these things, I think, keep rolling in this direction. And it'll only change, I think, when you have a, an Austrian moment, which I don't think we'll have, or just a gradual relative decline, which I think is most likely. Oh, I, I, I can see us having a, I can see us having a full, full on uh, crack at boom, to be honest. Because you've you've now got the you know like the mother of all storms building. You've had, I mean, at the moment we're in that kind of like the. Is it right to say that the eye of the storm is actually completely quiet, while everything yeah. else is just turbulent yes. around that 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 space? So I think that's where we are now. The damage has happened, or plenty of damage has already happened, but we haven't really really felt the consequences yet. The markets are still most markets are still relatively buoyant. But everybody knows there's going to be a, a shitstorm to come. The unemployment rate is going to go through the roof. Business is going to fail. Taxes at some point are going to have to rise. You know, there's a, there's a lot of pain coming. There's a very big uh, risk, isn't there, of of us actually having the worst of all worlds in terms of we could well have inflation because well, stag, 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 stagflation is probably exactly, the worst outcome. And I, I was thinking about this in terms of interest rates and going back sort of early 90s when I first started looking at the markets and until now. And the the central bank's role of controlling interest rates was one for business. It was to control the economy and to obviously do what we thought the central bank should do, if, if anything, um, which was either to stimulate borrowing or, or to reduce it. But it seems to be that this whole problem now is that the governments are the ones that have so much debt that they're not actually using interest rates to control the economy. They're, they're using it to control the cost of their own debt. And that, that means that they're, they're not thinking about the economy. They're thinking about the fact that they want to print more bonds in order to spend more money. And that's where MMT will fall down. Because at some point, interest rates on these bonds will start to go up. And then they, it won't be free to print money. And that's when they'll have to withdraw it. And they'll be withdraw. The, as Jonathan was saying, like you, you think about the consequences of what you're doing while you're while you're enacting MMT, but think about what happens when you when you're in the position where you've got to take it away. It's almost like taking a drug away from somebody who's addicted. You won't. It will be a very hard thing to do, and the effects of that will be even greater um, because it, they become reliant on it. So there's all sorts of problems with it. The Stephanie Kelton argument completely breaks down on the basis that it assumes that there's always going to be a, a stable equilibrium to the economy. But 
that's not the case. And it's not necessarily <laughs> going to be a, a continually stable equilibrium for well, confidence in currency. That's, so that's, that's, an, that's an infantile argument. That's, that's almost as bad as the, the original long-term capital management guys who were so clever in making the Black and Scholes model, but didn't realise that... They, they back-tested a good, a good eight years' worth of data. Well, well the, and then thought... They, they genuinely thought that they'd taken risk out of the market. They thought they'd removed risk. I mean, anybody who knows anything, even a child will know that if you're playing in the markets, you're playing with risk. And if you think you've taken risk out of the market, then there's something you haven't thought of. I just think that it's so the one thing I, I was, what's Taleb got this saying? I love and hate Taleb at the same time. I know I shouldn't. <laughs> I guess some things he says is so annoying and so easy to push back, but he, you, you know, you can't actually get blocked. He's got quite a punchable face, hasn't he, as well, to yeah. be honest. Well, yeah. But he, he said, he, uh, was it uh, lectures teaching birds how to fly? What was he yes, said? Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so you a lot of these academic types, uh, and I don't really mean by academics, but they, 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 these people who are trying to influence the real economy have never actually owned or run a business or anything themselves. I'm not saying someone that makes you a saint, but if you have, you realize that relying on formulas and models and, and moving interest rate by 0.1 best, I mean, it's like a joke. And the, the book I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast here, when you read that book, I mean, he was a very successful man who ended up founding you know, a conglomerate business model in America. Like you, that's a normal business that ended up doing really well. And the, um, the swings of profit, loss, luck, skill, the whole thing, it's just so wide. And when you read these books, it's almost like reading business pages, I find almost a calming influence versus the political pages of the paper. Because the politics you see, you also have to have a different set of goggles on. The flip-flopping and willful statistical misrepresentation of things. And then you turn to the business section and there are people trying to fit, figure shit out. You know, they're mm. just trying to fix stuff. And if they're not right, they lose money and they're gone. There's, there's not much room for debate. And I think one thing I meant to think about education, you touched on, Tim, that is a real mistake. If I could w- wave one wand, it would be statistics, just some basic level oh, of statistics. Yes, definitely. Like if you look at the, B, the BLM thing at the moment, I mean, I'm, I'm not getting into why America should, shouldn't have guns and whether you should do their various police policies and blah, blah, blah. But there are some quite comforting things. If you, well, the guy calls himself Michael Burry on Twitter. I don't know if it really is Michael Burry of... Um, Big short. Same. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure it is him because the way he's writing is so uh, autistic and unsentimental. He just posts up FBI data on the, on these things. Like, if this is the claim, this is the data you're looking for. People that, are, people that resist arrest, that have a firearm, the proportion killed per arrest, blah, blah, blah. And then you look at it, it's like, well, yeah. And, and, and it raises other questions you're not even allowed to mention about, well, if you're really worried about black lives, the number one Anyway, I shouldn't really open that door because it probably you'll be banned from Apple. But it's if you just looked at the data yourself, which you can do for nothing at home on your computer and go to the sources, you can find stuff out that's really quite simple to, to, to see for yourself without any New York Times or Wall Street Journal spin. And people just don't do it. And I don't I think it's a real real loss that that's the case. Same with COVID, the data is presented in a way to deliberately alarm you into certain pattern of behavior. But you can go onto the NHS or agency websites yourself and if you've got a terrified 19 year old kid you say listen look 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 yourself look at your cohort on that website and compare it to other risks of death and yeah it won't encourage them to wear face masks but it will will calm them down because some of these kids are terrified 
Well, it would be quite it would be quite helpful if we could, if we could make it mandatory that every anybody who wants to get into Parliament has to pass some kind of basic statistics exam. I think that I I would be surprised if most of them were passed, and, and, and the press by. as well. I would say, yeah, yeah, exactly. Same for the media. Yeah, and they they should explain things in terms of of uh, of, of how they've come to that conclusion. Have, Jonathan, have you heard of p hacking? Uh, Yes, I, but I don't know enough to comment on it. Sounds posit- it sounds positively filthy to me. <laughs> it's where you, you, reverse, you reverse engineer your statistics to get the result you want, I think. Statistics, uh, statisticians do, is they just run the experiment more times until they get the desire, desired result. And um, there was a guy who apparently, to show how how this is done, made a link between eating chocolate and losing weight and purposely did it um, because he wanted to show how it could easily be falsified. And the media just lapped it up. There's loads of stories. And you you may even have a kind of vague recollection of of how eating a small amount of chocolate can be good for losing weight, because so many people talked about it. But it was actually done to show that nobody rigor- rigorously checks what is, is published. And they just want to grab headlines and sell um, sell stories, and that's ultimately what drives everything. And I think that's the root of the problem of our social media. It's not so much the stories; it's how you're getting paid for those stories. If you want to be sensational, and if you want to cause arguments, you are going to be paid for it. That's it's as simple as that. You and that, that's what happens in the media. We know bad news sells. It's the same. It- it's the same problem with politics, though, that, I mean, Richard Feynman, the scientist, has made this point very articulately in the past, that if you had a, a, you know, a serious problem and then you've got two politicians, one says, here's how you do it, you solve it this way. And the other one goes, well, I don't know. I, you know, people have been arguing about this problem for 10, 15 years. What I would do is establish a committee of like the best people from a variety of disciplines and have them thrash you know, something out and see how it works, then try it and test it and so on and so on. The mm. second politician is never going to get elected. The first politician says, here's what you do. You sort it like this. And they get elected. So people, people are always drawn to the lowest common denominator in everything. Mm. I, so I'll give you a great um, example of that one uh, that Paul you raised there. So I'm, I'm a bit of a, um, I find nutrition stuff very interesting. Although if you look at me, I'm a skinny bloke and I eat a very normal old fashioned diet. So I don't do anything weird myself. What, what, do, what, do, what do you <clears throat> eat? Uh, well, I've got a bowl of porridge every day. I'll have uh, my, my son, one of my sons is a celiac. So that means he can't have any gluten. That's not a fad. It's actually a, re- that, that's a real one yeah. real issue. So we just have, we have, um, Rice, salmon, chicken, uh, beef, vegetables. No, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying it's a diet that my grandparents would recognise as normal. Yeah, we have we, we have no shit. So in our, like, Un- unprocessed, yeah. unprocessed stuff. Like everything, everything is made, and it's not like I mean, but it's all, all quite simple. Nothing, nothing complicated. But I think you wouldn't you wouldn't notice it. We're all thin and look pretty normal. But I do find the nutrition stuff very interesting and. I started going down the whole paleo thing a while ago. I wasn't, just, I wasn't doing it, but I was, it, it seemed very plausible. There's a very, there's an economist in America, and he was very. Have I given you this story before? Do you have time? No, for no, this? no, no. We've always got time. For, yeah, please. I guess he's an, he's now an eighty eight or nine year old guy, and he's he's in fantastic shape, big, strong looking unit, and uh, it's called Arthur Art Devaney, and he's pretty self involved. But he was doing some work on managing his son's diabetes by a diet because he didn't like injecting his son with insulin or whatever it was. And uh, one lunchtime, one of his colleagues from down the hall came in and he had a piece of, he was doing a meal plan for his son because he'd worked out if he fed his son certain kinds of meals, 
it would reduce the amount of insulin he had to inject his son with. This is just complete self-experimentation. He was an economist. He wasn't a, into a diet and that. Anyway, his mate came into his office one lunch, and I think he was an anthropologist or something weird like that. He said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm just making a meal plan for my son. We have to plan it ahead and keeps his, keeps his blood sugar level stable. And I, I nearly got it now. I don't have to give him any injections at all. And the guy said, can I have a look at that? And he said, yeah, sure. And he looked and said, this is a paleo diet. He said, what's a paleo diet? I said, well, it's kind of very similar to a paleo era, what we think paleo era guys ate. Said, look at it. It's very, very low sugar content, very much whole foods, quite high fat, well, very high fat and protein and very little carbs. And he said, oh, yeah, I hadn't really thought of that. I've just, I've, done, I've found out by experimenting. And that got me thinking. And now this is what before the paleo thing became a thing. And it did seem to use Nass and Talad's Lindy effect quite persuasive, right? I mean, you know, our intestines have developed over millions of years yet we've in these very high carb sugar diets now that we never did before so it does seem we, we can tolerate it most people can probably function just fine but that's kind of strange isn't it so i started going down the rabbit hole of paleo diet but then they start becoming like zealots and they start saying well you can't have this you can't have that and eventually you start seeing well what the fuck do you eat then and <laughs> that's, then you that's start, what well, i wanted I to ask I, you yeah yeah well exactly so then you look at them and go well, what do you have well, i have this bulletproof coffee and i have like half a pound of bacon every day i'm exaggerating but you're going Okay, well, no fucking human. No, only a paleolithic era, only in his wildest dreams would he have ever had that. So now, now you've gone off the deep end of crazy shit. So, and it's like, a, what, what I'm getting is, I think you follow these reductive paths on and on and on, and you get to ridiculous conclusions. Same with the vegetarians, the vegans, they all end up with these mad diets. And a funny paper I saw said, there's a study showing that every food apart from water is linked to some cancer or harm. So if you want to shit on any other diet, you can find a problem in every diet apart from drinking water. Because it, I mean, I, so far I'm unaware of any cancer link with water. But it just makes you realize if you want to find a problem, you can. Yeah. You, you, you want to watch that dihydrogen monoxide though, uh, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's been linked to all kinds of scare stories. And it's in everything. So old-fashioned stuff, old-fashioned rules of thumb, and avoid these uh, quirky, extreme studies. But one thing you said that it, it makes things worse about data mining and the, that p-hacking thing is studies that are very politically biased. Like now you'll see, for example, many studies saying women do better than this, women are better than that, than men, and what have you, and that, or uh, various transgender things or various racial observations. And, and you just notice there's a very strong leaning to come out of conclusions that show a certain thing that has an answer that is conveniently political. And if you knew your mind, you come up with a very obvious counterexample to why that might be the case. For example, why do female farm managers do better than men? There's a fairly obvious answer that I'm not going to bring up because I don't want to start a fight with your fans, but there are some obvious answers why that might be the case. But you you never see why why that why that would be. Well, good, no, you've got to tell us. Our, um, our fans can take it, <laughs> I'm sure. So, this is a safe space for everybody, uh, Jonathan. ESG has been a very popular area of investing stars recently. Very, uh, uh, very uh, overrepresented in the by, by female fund managers, I believe, than other other investing styles. So it's nothing to do with whether men or women are better. I think it's more just that what what sectors have they happened to have gone in, and how has that sector as a whole done anyway? So ESG as a sector has done very well. So if if I'd been in an ESG manager, I'd done well too. So I don't think it's necessarily because of the the fact you're female. But then if there was a study saying, well, why are men so overrepresented in excellent fields like physics? No one would say, well, men are just better. That, that would never be allowed, right? It would be because, yeah. they, you know, that, that it would be, must be a social reason. But if women are overrepresented, it's like, well, that just shows women are better because they're more, look at the COVID response. Women are better at managing COVID. And they list the women leaders that 
of those countries that do well, saying it's because they're women. It must be because they're more empathetic, they're more caring, they're more. All those things come into the equation. But if men are done better, so if male-led countries are done better, there's no way they say, well, maybe men are just better at those things. I mean, that that's where I start having a problem with double standards. And the FT is famous for this. For example, I think it was last weekend they were complaining about a Norwegian men's club where the the, the daughter of one of the men there. She's 30 and she's trying to get the thing to accept women. And the FT, you know, reporting that it's a bad thing, having a male club. But then the FT will also have a feature piece a few weeks before that about great news, women, women leadership kind of conference or a, a women's only club in some other part of the world. It's like, well, you can't, either sexism is wrong or, or it isn't. Yeah. But reverse sexism is no better, right? Or reverse racism is no better. Yes. And I think, you know, Sam Harris, the famous the atheist who, who did one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, he has a very good podcast called uh, Waking Up with Sam Harris. And he said, and he's very liberal in the American sense, he's quite a left-wing kind of uh, atheist guy. But I listened to him, he had some excellent guests. And he said, you need to be very careful teaching kids in America critical race theory or this, uh, you know, strong identitarian politics, because it's not a big leap that white kids might go, well, we can play that game too. We can we can talk about our white identity, and you know, as soon as I say it out loud, you go, "Uh oh, <laughs> that's not good," because if you want to play it both ways, you know, as Jordan Peterson said, if you keep poking the dragon, <clears throat> he was referring to what happened in Germany. If you keep on poking at the dragon, as in the, as in the silent majority, you, you you could get a very unpleasant backlash. And so that he's just saying, be very careful, open these doors to um, biases on any side. That surely the right the right version is like a feminism 1.0, which is just we should be treated fairly, all of us. It doesn't matter. That that's it. It shouldn't be. We should and now go further and start data mining for positively. For one- well, it's the, it's the distinction between equality of opportunities as opposed to equality of outcomes. I, I remember being in and um, I remember talking to a lady who worked in a factory with um, other women and she said um, she hated it she said it, she'd rather work with a bunch of guys because women were the most backstabby um, argumentative two-faced people oh, that she'd ever she'd ever worked with I know I know but it's that, her words not mine I didn't say it she's you know she said they were the worst sort of people to work with and there you go what what can I say I'm not going to name the company because it's a big one but it was it was fascinating I was doing a tour of the factory and she she said that and it was like wow I mean you can imagine that was a long time ago but you know are women competitive among each other come on how how competitive are women they're more competitive than guys they are. Have you fallen down the Jordan Peterson wormhole yet, Paul, or not? Uh, I, I picked up on his uh, Kathy, uh, what was it, the Kathy interview straight away, and I thought, yeah. I thought it was very interesting. And I, I look personally, I've, um, you know, my view on this is is that. I, I'm all for equality. I, I think it, it's great that we all have the opportunity and I think women should be encouraged. And it's great to see minorities and women in positions of power to encourage other women and other people to strive for those goals. But to try to force it does not seem to make any sense. I mean, there will be a certain amount of kids in a school who want to do subject X and a certain amount of kids in a school who want to do subject Y. And subject X might be you know, science and subject Y might be, say, home economics and subject Y might have fewer guys doing it than, than, than girls. And trying to force people to do things that they don't naturally want to do just because you want to balance up the statistics does not make any sense. It just doesn't. So 
I, I agree with a lot of, of what he says. And, and, and I think you'll find that if you ask people whether they really want this equality, you'll find that they don't, know, they don't really know what they're saying. I mean, because if you want complete equality between men and women, then does anyone ever say, well, look at the world wars and how many men went out and lost their lives on the battlefield? That should have been a bunch of women as well. Has anybody ever said that in history? Well, so you're, you're challenging Jordan Peterson. So I think he's, and I'm a big fan, and I think he, what is lost at the moment is there's no room for gray areas. So he, is, he does exactly what you're saying there. He'll say, listen, if you want to play, he is like Sam Harris, saying, be careful playing that game. If you look through history, for example, where women were oppressed, which is, of course, true. And he said, but what about men? So the problem is you're judging men by the standards of the top jobs or top leadership roles that are occupied by definition by hardly anybody. So most men don't get top leadership roles. So, so forget about top women. I mean, sure that we can argue about who should represent and what the ratios are and all that. Very interesting. So most people don't do that. He said, you'd be very careful because if men want to pull the card about, uh, you know, that they, they had a tough time. Yeah. How, how about the, the amount of them that got World War One, World War Two? I mean, good God, awful stuff. And you have comical response from Hillary Clinton actually did respond to that saying, the real stuff, the real victims are the women who are left behind. <laughs> so what, what about what? the guy? What about the guy? Yeah, look it up. Oh my God. The I real, mean, victim, real, real victims of war are the women that are left behind because the guys died. I mean, <laughs> like, just yeah. unbelievable. I mean, to be honest, I'd never heard anybody use that argument before anywhere. So it was yeah. something that I just privately thought and just happened to share with you now. So I'm well, to your, to, your, to your point about the female fa- the lady in the factory, he said that uh, women are, are it's funny, it, it, they, they compete more with other women than they do with men. It, 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 it's so uh, empirically. So maybe that can change. These things aren't fixed. He said women uh, do not like working with other women in very senior, aggressive, competing jobs. It's a very unpleasant environment. Apparently, there's, uh, he's, he is a therapist as well. He said there's an awful lot of uh, therapy goes on in that exact domain. So I, I don't know. The, the, the thing I have picked up from him that I think is true is it's all very well to be libertarian-minded, but there is a, there's a conflict between equality and um, um, to, 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 uh, liberty. So you can't force an equality of outcome. Just logically, that can't happen. And he's saying it's not reasonable to think that if we have everyone treated equally, you're going to get the exact same ratios of everything, transgenders, uh, race, or the whole thing, and, and age even. Is it, it logically, it's not, it, there's no, nothing that proves A, therefore B. So why do we think that's the case? And he said evolution didn't stop at the neck with humans. So there are men and women arguably wired differently. Yes, certain cultural norms may have reinforced an extreme diversion like if men are not doing their fair share of raising the kids, that does handicap women into the kind of careers they can choose. And there's there's a logical, reasonable point. He said, but to expect equal is unreasonable. And he said, let's pick Sweden. Sweden's held up as an example where they're very progressive. And he said, so you would expect that they would therefore have women and men in much more fair ratios in the jobs they choose. And in fact, it's wider. The gap is wider. So where women really are freer to choose, where they're less handicapped by uh, selfish male husbands, sorry, selfish husbands not doing their fair share of raising the kids, that is much less a case in Denmark and Sweden than it is in our countries. But women there, they do choose all the stereotypical careers you would you normally associate the women would choose versus men. And he's saying it's because men are, like, are more likely to choose certain kinds of, you know, semi-autistic jobs are going to be mainly, mainly male, like computer programmers, and their more caring jobs are going to be largely female chosen, which is true. So he's saying, yeah, I mean, what, why should we have a problem with an outcome? Why is that in principle wrong if that's what 
they are choosing themselves? Why should we try to change that? And there are counterproductive forces, like in American universities where they have, they, they handicap the Asians in favor of um, black groups. The blacks now have very high dropout rates in those universities. They're on courses where they don't, they, they don't do as well as they uh, could if they went to the university where their grades would have actually got them the place without taking into account their racial background. And there's a great American, um, and he's a black economist called Thomas Sowell, so he can say stuff. He's, that, he's awesome. He's absolutely awesome. He is. I mean, I've, I've listened to some of stuff recently, and he's changed my mind on quite a few things. Like, I, I'm ashamed to say I thought that there might be some IQ things going on between the Asians and various different groups. And he's, he's got much more logical explanations for why the, why the differences uh, between the groups are there that are more cultural. And he's, really, he's been really helpful to listen to. Like, he's got one called Intellectuals and Race. And if you listen to that on YouTube, it's just really, it's points of view you just never get to read today. And I think it's a real, um, real shame he's not more widely known over here. So, so there's one, one other aspect to this, and that's if you, if you want to kind of normalize the differences between men and women, then you're, and you're, you're talking about jobs and outcomes and all, the, all that sort of stuff. But the, the thing that you're forgetting, or not you, but people forget, is the choice of partner. Now, as a woman, do you want to choose a guy who's, you know, effeminate, um, you know, wants to paint his nails, uh, is very interested in flower arranging? And if uh, you're walking down the street and somebody comes at you with a knife, hides behind you, or would you rather somebody who's a bit more like James Bond? And I know that's a stereotype, but think about how we make our decisions in selecting partners. And of course, there's there's all sorts of you know, this is, of course, a nuanced argument and there's all, all sorts of room for, for different opinions. But generally speaking, the masculine, um, you know, somebody who's, who acts masculine, who in business is is aggressive and, and uh, doesn't put up with any shit against the more uh, sort of understanding style of, of let's, you know, let's work this out together um, and expect everybody to, to play by the rules attitude will will you know fall into two different categories that won't necessarily help you get on and that's what Jordan Peterson was talking about in order to get on you you have to fight at the same level but we, we when we're looking at a partner what is it you want what do what exactly do you want if if women want equality what do you want in a partner what do you want him to look like what sort of guy do you want him to be like we had the metrosexual uh, guy you know uh, I think was it in the two thousands or was it in, maybe in, in the nineties that that phrase came along, and it's like, well, is is that is that actually what what people want, or when women choose that choose to want something in the business place, but actually when they want a partner, they want somebody who looks more like James Bond. What what is it, Paul? You've got so I I don't know you very well, but you've got to go and listen to a few of his videos because you're you're coming up with these things that he's been talking about already. So, or maybe you took, maybe he got this information from you, but he made <laughs> what well, he made that exact point saying. So, on the one hand, you read, let's say you read the Guardian or the Telegraph, and you you know, I'm just picking those as your stereotype right and left reviews of all these things, and you come away nodding vigorously about, oh yes, well, women only think that way, or men only want to be macho and tough because they've been programmed to think that way because the culture is patriarchal and blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm, fine. So on the one hand, you think that, but then when you go and look at the revealed preferences of people, what movies or books or genres really sell well? So all the kind of feminist ones where they have the Ghostbusters, they'll have an all-female cast, complete flops. All the ones where they try to make it more, they flip the roles. They just, they, they are not commercially successful. And so you can keep on saying, oh, keep making excuses for why that is. But all the, 
The shekels don't work. Be, but all, but yeah, that's right. And, but all the outrageously terrible patriarchal male super buff superhero, very shapely female superhero, the things we're not supposed to like that the Guardian media would hate, they do unbelievably well today. So those old archetypes, they are not. They, they, they don't just go away because we reset. You can shift. He says you can shift the amplitude of it for sure. But to think you can make it a zero, so you should have a man or woman absolutely equal in every every aspect, is just not, um, well, he said it's, it's a theory. Uh, there's no evidence for it. And let's see how that works out. But he said it would be strange over the thousands of his human history and all these cultures, we've never seen it. So if it's about to happen now, that'll be a first. Let's see what happens. But it's... But also, he, he pushes back saying, and why? Why are you pushing back against it? What's the problem? As long as um, it's fair, what's the, what's the issue? Why should there be identical outcomes in every area? Definitely. Oh, I think we've definitely lost a few followers now. <laughs> you know, these things are, well, have did, you seen Lawrence? I saw, I saw Lawrence, Flo- Lawrence Fox has started a new political party in the UK called Reclaim. Have you seen that? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna. I'm not sure we'll sweep the polls, but he's, he's just basically, uh, he's. I think there's gonna be all kinds of people nibbling away at the um, conservatives' um, numbers now. I, I just, I just say something very quickly, uh, Jonathan, and what you said before is, I think a lot of women, a lot of women actually get this. By the way, a lot of women understand it and are, I can see the problem and would, would, would actually agree with it. It's just that it's so politically difficult to say that that nobody does. So you know, it's to say, I don't think all women believe that that they want equality um, in the way that we're talking about, and and so it's not. It, again, it's 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 still a grey area, but it's. You know, it's worth pointing out that there are many women out there who totally agree with what we're saying. Well, Paul, ask yourself this. Do you see do you see people fighting for equality in, in all areas or is it just cherry picked areas? That's a great that uh, Scott Scott Adams said this is a great tell. Uh, he talks about tell being a hypnotist where he's looking for things that give give away what's really motivating you behind your words. He said they really meant it. So for example, in Ireland, and I think it's the same in the UK, 60% of graduates from Trinity and UCD, the two main universities, are female, and the numbers are going up. So if you really care about equality, where, 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 what's happened to our boys? Why, why are the current generation of boys uh, underperforming? Why are they behind the women? Is, is something need to be done? Where, where's, where's the, where's the up, uproar and outcry about that? Where's the, what's, the percentage of, what's the percentage of bin men or bin refuge collectors? Bin where, persons. Bin, bin people, men and women. What, what, and why aren't we changing it? What about construction sites? Why aren't we changing it? Why aren't we, why aren't we yeah. forcing more women to, to, you know, to work well, on construction? Why, why, why and I don't, want, I don't want that. Medicine. I don't. Why, why, want... why, I mean, I, I don't care. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's a problem. But why are women over in medicine? Like, and why? Is, and it's increasingly so. What, why, what are we going to do about that? Well, yeah. I, it's, it's. And also, it's do it's if I was a woman, like, so my wife, my wife has a first class degree in aerospace engineering. So I'm married to a very, she's clever lady. Than I am obviously. So I have no doubt about the, the abilities being the same. But I just think my, my problem is the the positive discrimination part. I think is also a problem because if you start. Um, handicapping work environments to make them more suitable for women it's almost like they've got special needs and they of course they don't but you know what i mean if they make it less aggressive less combative less and men need to give a certain amount of time for women to have a lesson it's like you're dealing with someone who's got a mental problem and it's very insulting if you're actually a normal functioning woman you don't need to have special conditions and it now starts building in people to be genuinely suspicious and they start thinking well maybe that person got the job because they are a woman because now we have quotas so you wouldn't have got the job they're being passed they're passing over better qualified guys to tick a box and the, and this i don't know if you've seen this my kids watch a show called south park oh. the teenage boys so it's allowed to but they they say stuff on there that i can't believe they're allowed to like they call yeah. a certain character they call him a token yeah his name is token 
Yeah. And I said, yeah, I, that's his name. I'm thinking, no, my son said, who's he's called Token? Said, oh, he can't really be called Token. Said, yep. No. So how, how, can, how can Netflix have that show when they fired the guy who used the N-word as an example of a word, you, something you're not as a bad thing. He said it as a bad thing, yet they have a show where they have that yeah. character. I find, it, I find it baffling the logical inconsistencies that, uh, you know, it's fun, but you're baffling. Yes. That, that segues us effortlessly to media picks. Okay. Yes. Or, or maybe not. Maybe he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a crazy one that I thought I should mention because it wouldn't be, be boring. I, I wouldn't say it'd be boring so far, hopefully. But so did I mention UFOs to you before or not? Please mention it, even if you did, did before. I want to hear more about UFOs. Well, so... so this is going to definitely help our credibility, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned UFO. Oh, God. So, of course, my inner nine-year-old would like to, you know, you, you, I remember when I thought UFOs might be real, then you grow up and you realise it's just it's desperately bored Midwestern people wanting to make a name for themselves. To be, on, to be honest, Jonathan, in 2020, I think anything is now possible. Well. So I have a much more open mind than I, than I used to. So hold on to your seat. So... My son tells me, oh, Dad, did you see this? Did you see that YouTube show about the USS Limits and the alien thing? I said, oh. so I thought, oh, I put my dad hat on. Here's my here's a teaching moment. Rather than just laugh, rather than rather than burst out laughing at him, saying, yeah, yeah, right, oh, aliens. He said, well, have you seen it? I said, well, well, no. He said, well, maybe you should. So I'm fine. I'll sit down. I'll watch a YouTube video made by these um, various uh, Navy personnel who had intercepted on various occasions apparently these this strange flying objects and there's, there's video footage. And they, and it, you know, if you watch a show, they are all military personnel, and it's very convincing. Well, you know, the source of the video, and it's strange. Never get a good quality photograph. Why don't we get the fucking iPhone out and film the little fucker? And <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so then I don't know if you saw early this year. This I don't know why this is not bigger news. Early this year, the Pentagon on their own website, so you can look it up yourself. My son goes, "Your dad, fucking Pentagon's released those videos." So yes. there you are. I so, did hear about that, and I did see it, yeah. yeah. And I'm amazed so as well that it didn't get the press, yeah. So then I look at the videos, and so I thought, well, okay, so those videos are real. And then New York Times has a, a cover article, a piece on it, which is surprising, so they just fade that. And I think, yeah, but it doesn't prove, so, okay, it doesn't prove the little green men from Mars and all the rest of it, but it, it starts you thinking, okay, well, that is interesting. So the, my, my media pick this week would be, there's a, there's a show on um, YouTube called, I'm trying to find it now. Yes, it's called The Basement Office. Uh, if you just go to the, the, the basement office and some, so they've got, they reckon they've got a guy, an English guy who used to work for the British government investigating UFO claims. And so some of it, so it's got all the scary music in the background and it's some of it, you roll your eyes, but there's some, there is some fascinating footage there. For example, of planes going over Ireland and they've got the footage of the audio of the uh, control tower in, I think, Shannon airport to various planes. And I mean, it's remarkable. You're thinking this stuff is, happening and they're not saying what they are no one knows what they are maybe it's and, and, and then you read these so i immediately go on skeptical uh inquire not skeptical inquire the um skeptics website michael Shermer, you know the, the famous uh, skeptic and then just their, their their objections aren't very good they're saying could be this could be that it's like well you have trained military personnel and they're 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 visibly gasping at this thing that's dropping from thirty thousand foot to below the sea and then straight up again like instantaneously so it's it, anyway i just at the very least, I have no idea what it is. I'm not saying it's an you know, I don't know. I don't know any more than you guys do. But there's something going on, and now the government's reporting this stuff. Yeah, and then the, the RAF is also releasing information, but I think they just don't know. So I think they all know there's something going on themselves, but they don't know what it is. I think maybe the central bank should get involved and you know get some taxes 
you know, to, to, to pay for an alien, you know, just in case we're invaded by aliens. You know, just a thought. Well, I think they should definitely slash interest rates to minus 100%, because that is surely going to help the economy. Yeah. No, that's... that's, so, that's really... You guys have... Uh, on your, on your, on your uh, smell test, what do you think? Like, why, why do you think? Assuming what I said is true... Yes, about the Pentagon website thing when you said you saw. It, why would they? Why would they? I mean, if I was them, I would not release that. Like, why would you do that? Adding fuel possibly, to fire. Like, possibly, I think. Possibly. I think it's psyop. It's consistent with the whole psyop thing. It's to leave leave everybody in a state of permanent confusion. I, exactly. I, so it just feeds all that crap. It feeds all the conspiracy nut jobs. Um, may, maybe they're just sick of having to deny it all the time or deny that the footage exists. So they just say, "Look, here's the footage. We don't know." That's it. That's actually quite a good answer than saying, instead of saying, look, it definitely is fake or it's definitely, um, you know, we're, we're covering something up. If they just say, well, the foot- there's the footage. They can't deny the footage is there because it's obviously in the public domain. Um, so I therefore, agree. I agree. So how, how else do they deal with it? They just say, we don't know. So we just don't know is a much better answer because you, you can't argue against that, can you? You can't say, well, actually, you do know something. We say, well, actually, no, we don't. So that's it. It kind of ends the argument. So I think that that's the reason. But what it actually is, is is another matter. I mean, it could be sort of advanced military technology that they don't want anybody else to see. Um, and it just happened to get, you know, in the sight of, of, of some, some people that shouldn't have seen it. But I, I just don't know either, really. I can't explain it. But it is very odd, that's for sure. Yeah, that's, that, I, I land where you do as well. There, I think it's uh, more confusing than like, rather than it, they're hiding anything. I don't. I just think they they just don't know. Like they they saw what we saw, and they don't know, and they can't hide it. And they just there you are. Good luck with that. What do you think of the moon landings? Then do you think that was? I know what we're doing. Boring me out to see. Okay, has he gone full? Um, no, no. I'm just. I think. Has he gone full? I. I don't think you have to be a conspiracy theorist. Uh, you know, like they say, you're either everything you think is a conspiracy theory or everything you think isn't. So, but I don't think you're like that. I think people in the markets tend to have. Uh, a because you when before you invest you have to do so much sort of critical thinking i i like the opinions of people in markets to things like this i don't think you're just going to say oh yeah it's definitely all a hoax or no it, it definitely happened you you'll have done you your research. i'll give you a great anti-conspiracy point that i think i love this one and you can it's a bit vulgar so people got about the conspiracy theories i think listen bill clinton couldn't hide the fact he got a blowjob off a girl <laughs> in, in, including including the unbelievably and back a dress with a stain on it. I mean, yeah. just, I mean, I know that's it sounds true, true but think that's, about that. It's yeah, so that's a good point. Basic. And if they can't hide the fucking dress or make her have an accident or like. It's funny because when, because when they, when they say it's a choice between conspiracy and cock up, you've taken that to kind of like an, a literal dimension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the conspiracy thing, like I was, you know, I like the whole gold. I like the, I like a lot of the things the gold bugs say. I'm just a bit worried about what, how they act on it. But I dealt with central banks as part of my job. Nothing just because because that's what you do. They're just guys. Yeah, just guys and girls. Absolutely. You and me got a job. They go to thing. They, they 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 think they're doing the right thing. They think they're moving into rates like this or that. But this holiday, no 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 no. Deep down, it's a conspiracy to manipulate the dollar. To, it's like a control. It's like not really. I think they accidentally fell into it like that, and it has worked out fantastically well for the uh, for the for the dollar producer. But uh, to think that there's all been some master plan. I mean. For sure, it hasn't. Like I, I, I met so many of these people. They just they stumble along from one disaster to another. When things are calm, they move rates by 
quarter up, quarter down, change a bit of a hint of a language there, a word here, a word there. But then it goes wrong and they just, they crap themselves, cut rates, print money, buy stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm being really rude and facetious, but honestly, the way they get treated like a multi, multi-level multi chess player. Puppet masters. There, there yeah. was a, did you see the BBC documentary about behind the scenes of the Bank of England? Oh, no. No, no, you've got to, got to see it. It's, it's like... You know, it, it's what you say. It's not. It's it's not as as um, like you say. They're just trying to do the right thing. It's not. It's there's no sort of um, multi level plan to to you know. They just they're just looking at the data and saying let's let's try and you know support the economy or or, or whatever. Push push that one. Yeah. Pull that one. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's um it's kind of, and but not only have you that, tried but, turning but, it off and turning it on again? But yeah. <laughs> but they're trying to manage the media at the same time which is which is part of actually i i i felt i actually felt um you know felt sorry for them if you can believe that because mark carney had actually said something and it just got repeated in the press completely incorrectly uh, as to what he said and it was a great example of how you heard it from the horse's mouth you saw it happening and then you saw it being reported completely incorrectly so it is you know as much as we do criticize what they do sometimes um you know Blunt instrument, etc., and for not really un- oh. understanding the long-term effects so, of what they're doing, it was it was a great example of how the press had just wanted to get a story out and printed what they wanted anyway. So I have never seen a gap between like we all know that they the press has to push a, put lean on lean the story in the, the direction of their audience because that they're selling papers. So uh, of course they do that, but I have never seen a gap like I have now with Trump and the American press. So. It, um, and I know Zero Hedge. I don't follow Zero Hedge because otherwise you'd go mad. And get every day. <laughs> That's but it, so true. But, they, but they, they, there is no doubt. There's but no I doubt they them. come up with stories. You, so I saw two stories this week. One was about um, Biden Jr. getting a $3.5 million. I don't know if a payment, I don't know if someone, the mayor of Moscow's wife, if you heard the story, the mayor of Moscow's wife invested $3.5 million in his fund or gave him $3.5 million. I can't remember specifically. But you think, fuck me, if that had been... If that had been Donald Trump Jr., that would be page one. So I now go straight away to, okay, is that true? I go on a kind of normal website. Nowhere to be seen. The normal left-wing media, not a story. If that had been Donald Trump Jr., page one news worldwide. And then also there was a thing about the FBI investigation. And you saw there was a comment there that uh, apparently they reckon that Putin, at the time of Trump's election, was more sympathetic to a Clinton win. Because it, she was a better, the better to deal with an, uh, a, it was a better known quantity, like the better the devil you know. Again, it's like what? Did, what huh? So I googled that again, and because you, you, you have to go and look for it, and it's not, of course, not reported on the, the, any of the normal media in the states, apart from some of the right wing ones. And you're thinking, okay, well, where are your sources? The sources are the fucking FBI. You can look it up yourself after the call. You're thinking it's quite remarkable how some of these stories have come and gone about Trump. He's such a divisive character, and there's a lot to complain about with him obviously. But all sort of stuff is just not true, or they are very biased for their own team. That's the point of not, not just fading the impact of the story, just not reporting it at all. So I don't know if either of you had even heard of those stories this week. I'd heard of the Biden one, but the, the thing that gives me some comfort here is that the media tried to do a similar hatchet job in Brexit, and it blew up in their faces. The American media then tried to do the same thing with Trump, and then he got elected. And I look forward to the day that when when is the date of the U.S. election? Is it early November? I, I look so, forward. Yeah. You'll be able to tell when it is because the noise of all, all these people's heads popping off over in North America. Think, because he's, I, I think I think he'll get I think he'll get reelected, but I, I suppose it's it's I have no particular dog in the fight. But it does. I do find it extremely offensive that someone who clearly is suffering from Alzheimer's 
or some kind of advanced dementia could even be considered for the most important office in the world. I find that really, really offensive. It's like just how much, just how, could you scrape the bottom of the barrel more aggressively than they're doing now? And I think the answer is no, it's, impo- it's impossible. It's about, um, Scott Armstrong, he, he said this early, he said, so they're still playing 2D politics Mm. Uh, with this election, and said so they've not, they've learned nothing. Like even Hillary Clinton keeps talking. Like you, you lost. You should, you should just not talk at all. Like you, you had your chance. So whatever it is about you, you should be avoided at all costs. For them. I think you'll find she actually won, though, Jonathan. That's the point. Uh, she won. I forgot. Yeah. Yep. So, so it's a moral victory. She's the moral president. So moon landings, though. You, you didn't answer the question, Jonathan. Oh no! Sure, no. <laughs> so I, 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 yes. I, I believe I believe the moon landings were staged. I mean, I believe the moon. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. Oops. So no, seriously. So what, what was your view? No, I, I, I so honestly, I, you've got me in the spot here. I, I, I just think that of course, they, of course, you land on the moon. I, I don't seriously think anyone doubts it, do they? Or do they? Do <laughs> like, they? You don't like, think anyone doubts it? I mean, there, there are many not, reasons. Not, seri- not seriously. Um, yeah. Well, there, there are a few reasons as to why it could have been faked, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm saying I'm saying you might have wanted to fake it just to, to uh, put put stick one up to the Russians and make your people think you're more successful than yeah. you really were. But I mean, yeah, but I watched the movie, Paul. It was true. It was true. When Tom but Hanks was there and everything. Did you see? Have you actually seen the technicalities of what they had to do in order to to make it happen? They have had you, to get people onto a soundstage in California. They had to put slow motion on the, a, on the video. They had to paint out the reflections <laughs> of the cameras. All I have seen over the years, like no wind on the flag. Whenever I saw those, you go, that, that's, then you read it, oh, there's no wind because there's no wind on the moon. And that's why. So yeah. every, every individual thing I've seen, there's always an explanation that seems plausible. No, I didn't, I didn't mean that. You, I meant, I meant to, to actually. To actually land them on the moon. So you had the limb model. Once it's mm. rotating around the moon, you, you had the limb model that had to land on the moon and then then obviously take off again and redock with this other rocket that was that was going around the moon. And they had to match that up. God knows how you would do that with 1969 technology. How would you how would you redock a um a, a limb model uh, module? To a rocket in carefully. I mean, I mean, if you're out by a kilometer, which is nothing, then you're screwed, aren't you? So the precision that you need to redock, the timing and everything else. Did we did we have that technology at the time? I mean, it's it's so mind. So I, I don't I don't I don't know. But did you see the? There was a very good movie came out recently where they did a very. I mean, maybe it's all staged, but let's, I, I don't, I wasn't there, but it, it was very high definition version of all the footage of that um, expedition. Yeah. And one thing that struck me was they had fucking teams of hundreds or thousands of geeks working yes. on this. It was a massive priority. So they had the, all the super brains in the world on this thing. So they, there was, there was no shortage of uh, brain power trying to figure this out. So I, I, don't I believe know. It, it, it did happen. I did, do believe it, but I'm just like, I'm the mind boggles at the technology, and and you know the, the 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 amount of risks that were being taken with with things that were unproven. It's just phenomenal. You couldn't test any of that stuff. How how would you well, test I'm, it? I'm amazed that uh, libertarians are passing up a few great uh, sales pitches at the moment. Like Elon, we've had NASA with their budget for God knows how much for decades. You have Elon Musk on a relative shoestring doing what he's done with SpaceX. And maybe it's just me, but don't you just take a step back going, 
hold on a second. So here you got some random billionaire. Well, he's not a random billionaire. You've got a very genius billionaire guy doing this amazing shit. Like, what the fuck have NASA been doing with all that money? <laughs> That's a good point. I thought of Like, that. what the fuck? He's going like, to land on the moon himself a... soon, just for fun. Well, 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 I mean... Uh, yeah, but that's, 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 only a varia- that's only a variation. That's only a variation on the argument that if you put the federal government in charge of the Sahara, then pretty soon there'd be a shortage of sand. <laughs> that, that's my thing with the NHS and all these other... Like, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying anything about any doctors and nurses, any of the individual staff working. It's more for me... The system, like I, I, one of my kids was born in Japan, one was born in Canada, we lived in a whole bunch of countries. They all, all rich countries have some kind of healthcare system. The NHS and the HSC in Ireland are unusual at being totally free at point of uh, delivery. Like just Google German healthcare system. They're free at the point of non-delivery now. Right. Okay. So but when, if you've ever gone and actually experienced that, those services firsthand, you, now you tell me what private market service is anything like that. Nothing's like that. We sit in a room for three hours. No one seems to get, it's just all vague. You're not sure what you're supposed to do all over the place. It's like, what the fuck? I mean, it's incredible. And everyone, everyone walks out going, that's that amazing. And everyone works there, saints and heroes. Well, I, I, the people working there, yeah, they, maybe they are, because it, it's, it's such a, an amazingly 1950s-like system. You're thinking, how does anybody think that's okay? Imagine going to a supermarket and having the same kind of bizarre experience, like, oh, we weren't expecting you. Sit there. Wait two or three hours. Well, come, someone will come and see you, and we'll maybe choose some food for you. And you've, hmm. To be fair, to be fair, the TikTok videos have been mildly impressive. <laughs> what? The TikTok videos, you know, the nurses and the doctors, and they're, they're on like that. They can be ships, and they're doing and they're doing dancing. It's 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 mildly mildly impressive sometimes. But I think, as Jonathan says, it's it's not the individual staff's fault. No. Um, it's the system. No, no, and I, not. It's definitely a very difficult job. I wouldn't want to do it. And I, I take my hat off to you know anyone who wants to be a doctor or a nurse bloody hell it's it's very very hard um it, yes. for lots of reasons but the system yeah the system is uh you know is something we've we've spoken at length about and it, it's it's amazing i thought we might actually get an episode without talking about it but you managed to sneak it in just near the end so you know well done title um, of my sex tape there are different systems like they're different like in japan when you go to the doctor i can't i don't i don't know i can't speak japanese i was only there for two two years and a bit but it's just a very different, you just go to, I guess, a GP. But instead of you seeing straight away a doctor, it's like they have, like, I, I guess 90% of things you go and see a doctor about are dealable with, with highly qualified nurses. So you have immediate care straight away. And if you need any kind of jabs, medicine management, headache, a cut, a cough, all the usual kind of a migraine, all the you, whatever the most common things are. There's a whole team of people who are much lower paid, I presume, but they're just, they can deal with all the basic crap. In immediately and very well, very efficiently, then you're on your way. And then you get to see the doctor if you have a problem. Like they I don't like actually need to have someone who's been qualified in this school for seven years at a great cost. That's very And clever. it just works. It, yes, yeah, there's lots. Of, I just think, why don't we go around the world picking and picking like a, a bee, the good bits from each flower and working what, what works? Let's forget your ideology about left or who cares? What, what works? And let's see, can we copy that back at home? Mm. I mean, that seems pretty obvious to me i don't know why that's never raised yeah that's a, a very good point um so media picks tim i guess um 
What, what was right, so I've, I've, I've got a few blogs that I want to share, but they can be in the show notes, so there's no need to dwell on them. But there's, there's three excellent pieces about coronavirus and the, 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 the rolling black comedy that is our government at the moment. Um, I've mentioned the tablet one, China's Global Lockdown Propaganda Campaign, an excellent piece by Peter Hitchens in the critic magazine called Democracy Muzzled, and an equally excellent piece in Spiked called The Making of Britain's COVID Catastrophe. But I've sent you the link so you can, you can have those in the show thank, notes. Thank you, I have a film uh, which is... Let's just say difficult viewing. It's called Hounds of Love, and it's an Australian crime thriller. And without going into detail, a schoolgirl is kidnapped by some serial rapists. Oh God! You no, know, I don't think um, I don't think I even want to know any more than that. I've just watched I, I, the bloody I, fall, and that was enough. But but, but Hounds Hounds of Love. It, it it's not exactly a light romantic comedy, um, as as I've I think I've probably probably alluded but it is completely gripping oh yeah i, I don't know so, i don't know so it might it's dark it's clearly sort of parental advisory certificate 18 all all all, all the disclaimers mm. but i think i think probably because the whole experience of living in london in basically lockdown 2.0 is so dispiriting i watched this film just to cheer myself up yeah um right okay um, but it's, it's a very good film. It's a very good film, but but clearly it, it is somewhat grim and some bits are, are almost unwatchable. Yeah. But it, it's a gripping thriller. Yeah. Hands of Love. Yeah. I, as I say, I had the... Thank you, Tim. I had the, the fall recommended to me and I, I wish I hadn't watched it. It actually irritated me on many levels, um, apart from it being not very pleasant watching. But it was certainly gripping in, for, for certain, in certain parts where it's very suspenseful, which I suspect is, is what um, your film will be like. So, you know, I'll have to check it out. Give it, give it a try. Give it a try. Yeah. Um, but given that Jonathan's on, I'd like to mention, um, this isn't my media pick, but I'd like to mention there's a, I don't know if you've seen the Veritasium uh, YouTube videos, Jonathan, uh, at all. No, I've heard of Veritas, which is a Catholic kind of um, philosophy one, but I doubt that's what you're talking about. No, it, it, it's um, <laughs> no, it's just this guy. He just covers these these uh, interesting topics. Some some of them maths, some of them science based, okay. and they're always really interesting. Uh, it's got mil- millions of views, millions of followers. But um, one of them was he talked about luck and the role that luck plays in success. So I thought you might like that. So I, I would check that one out. But he also did one about statistics and um, talked about, you know, if you test positive for something, what's the what's the actual chance of you having a certain disease? And this was done before the coronavirus. So it's very interesting watch. It's a very interesting watch that if you get tested positive, you may not have the disease. You need to have more than one test because of the way statistics works. And it's a lack of understanding of statistics that makes us think, well, if something is a is a 90% um, correct test, then if you test positive, you've definitely got it. Well, that's not actually the case at all. And it's quite eye-opening and it's counterintuitive as well, which is why so many people fall into the trap. But my actual media pick for this week is going to be um, something on Amazon uh, called the Raymond twins. And it's the story of two identical um, twin sisters who are autistic savants, the only known case in the world. And it's absolutely amazing. And if we ever think we've understood how the human brain works, I think this will change your view um, of, you know, of course there's people out there trying to mimic how the the human brain works with artificial intelligence. And this will kind of completely change your view about how our minds can possibly work because the things they're doing are just impossible, completely impossible. Um, So I don't want to ruin any of it. No, I'd love that because I I find that, um, I think that's a, 
an area where philosophy can really teach science something. So there, there I say, you listen to someone, Elon Musk, talking about this brain-to-brain connection thing, and, and I think people keep thinking data is understanding, and it, it's just not. Like, as Talib said, it's a qualitatively different thing, and we don't even know. Like, So we will make a machine do something that we want it to do, like adding up. Then we'll think, oh, it's doing what we're doing. It's like, no, it, th- that is that is not what we are doing when we add up. So we now, we, we, we've now done the logical mistake of thinking that we are kind of like a computer and that is not true we've made computers do things we want them to do but the way they do it is not how we work and yeah. we still don't know how we work yes. and as Nassim Taleb said again I name check the guy again he said look at the financial crisis there's no we had no more data about anything than financial markets and prices given where all the money is and did that help us at all foresee what was coming in the financial crisis he said the quantity of data is not it's not. It's not sufficient. There's, there's something else, and it's a more of a philosophical problem. We need to. We need to con- confront before we think we can reverse engineer the brain. Yes. Yes. Um, well, so, well, that sounds great. Yeah. What's that called again? It's called Raymond Twins. Um, and if you've seen the film, obviously named after the um, the Rain Man film with Dustin Hoffman and, and Tom Cruise. Um, but but they li- they literally like for example. You know, they they remember every single meal that they've ever re- eaten on every day, and they can they can recount it, and they remember the weather on every single day of their lives, which is just phenomenal. Um, and I, worked, I worked with I worked with an, I nearly became an actor. Thank God I didn't do that. And there's some of the good people there were super brains, and there was one girl, and she but not quite that, but she could remember everything. I mean, it's like you, t- you could just t- tell her what was the weather like on the third of May. 2000 and she got oh i think it was sunny and there was a, it's unbelievable what? i don't know it's, it's, if I only st- there was so if only there was some way of monetizing that special skill <laughs> yeah but you know i mean tim you've got like probably the best memory of sort of you know one of the best memories of people that i know i mean you just sort of remember stuff that um you know i'll mention a film and you'll mention the, the yeah it's only because i've got 28 browsers open in front of me though. that's, that's the main reason <laughs> Well, we won't ask. What's so you, on you, 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 we weren't given away by the sort of the tap, tap, tapping in the background every time you ask a question. <laughs> well, I wondered what you were up to. But. <laughs> oh, oh, Mrs. Yeah. Oh no, Mrs. Oh no. Indeed, indeed. But let's let's end on this positive note, Jonathan. Thank you so very much for coming on the show. I've had a blast. It's been brilliant. We need to have you on more often. And let, please say that you'll come back on. I will, but after the what the aliens, Jordan Peterson, the whole the racial. Is there, is there any? Is there any ground left to cover? <laughs> I'd love to come back on, but um, it's been good fun talking to you guys. I hope I wasn't too long. No, it's fantastic. Thank you so much, and uh, and I think I think you've got a book in you, Jonathan. I'd definitely buy one from written by. I'd go you, to a so, doctor if, if you know, there's any available. Think about that. Okay, well, send me some subject ideas, and maybe I should I should do yeah. something with my. Well, how, how about how about aliens? Let's start there. Uh, okay, great. <laughs> There's any available? Okay, thank you, guys. Brilliant. Happy lockdown. Yes, take care. Bye. Thank you so much. Speak to you soon. <laughs> thank you so much. And, no problems. Uh, yeah, speak to you soon. Yeah. Yeah. All okay. Best. Take care, Jim. Bye now. Bye. Thank you. Bye. And thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.